Hello, you're listening to Chief Best Friends, a show about friendship, business, and the messy in-betweens. I'm your host, Nikki Torres, and I believe if we want to go far, we have to do it together. Hey, so if you're looking for other Asian-hosted and Asian-produced podcasts, then you'd want to subscribe to Rock the Boat. But wait, before you go and do that, we actually have today Lucia and Lynn, the power ladies behind this amazing show. You'll get to hear why gathering communities is important and the causes we believe in, and also the double whammy Asian women have to deal with in the corporate world. Think glass ceiling and bamboo ceiling, the latter being something that they will explain more in this episode. You'll also walk away with tactics on how to be intentional in checking in with your chief best friend, as well as productivity tips. I'm super stoked to know that Lucia and Lynn are transforming the stories around Asian identity and how we should always aim to rock the boat. Without further ado, here are Lucia and Lynn. Hi, Lucia and Lynn. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having us. So I've been very excited to have you both on the show because I've never spoken to other podcasters and I have been listening to your episodes and I love the whole narrative interview style. I guess to just get right down to it, I wanted to ask, how did you both meet and decide to start Rock the Boat? Lynn and I have somewhat different versions of the story, but (laughs) in general, six years ago, we met at a friend's brunch. Our friend, she has these like sangria brunches where she brings different people from different walks of her life together. And Lynn just happened to be there that one day. Lynn was in a volunteer organization with my friend. And so that's how we all got together. And and that's how we met. Lynn, what's your version? Yeah, we met at a mutual friend's brunch. I do remember us having conversation around the table over sangria and just being really intrigued by the conversation. I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I do remember that Lucia was a very interesting person, but like not just interesting, but also interested in what other people had to say. And we didn't end up seeing each other super regularly immediately after the fact, but I do remember that quality of Lucia standing out. Oh, that's so sweet. Aside from that kind of like initial gravitation toward each other, what was the catalyst for you both to decide, oh, let's start a podcast or this project? To Lynn's point earlier, I think we just kind of enjoyed each other's company and we had similar life philosophies. Something that we both had in common was every time we met up, because we met in a social setting, we didn't really know each other's work. And so we would just talk about our different career paths what our aspirations were. And then we would happen upon this topic of purpose. We would always talk about, okay, well, it's really hard to land or find the right fit for us to figure out what exactly we want to do in the future. So, and we're both, I think, very exploratory people. So we wanted to try a bunch of different things. Me personally, I've had a very zigzag career path where I've started my own business. I started a chocolate company I've also gone and worked at two different Series A startups. One was in real estate, the other was in tech. And then I've also done a whole bunch of other things, like including getting a food handler's license and getting a real estate license. And so every time we met up, we just kind of felt like we haven't quite figured it out yet. And there were so many things for us to always talk about when we met up. And so That's really when we started thinking, okay, there's got to be a resource out there with an Asian American angle on your career. And when we started doing research around it, we really couldn't find anything. 
And so that's how we kind of got together. And initially we were thinking, maybe this would be a book or maybe this would be a handbook of sorts. And we started asking our friends uh, on what they wanted to see. I was very convinced that it should be a podcast because at the time, this was 2014, podcasts weren't the rage yet. And I started listening to this podcast called Startup, which was the first podcast that Gimlet Media started. And I was just fascinated with the fact that you could hear somebody's startup journey like on your on your cell phone. And so I was pretty convinced that it should be a podcast. And that's when I approached Lynn and I said, Lynn, you know, you have a journalist background. You enjoy writing. Maybe this is something we can work on together. When I was listening to Rock the Boat, especially the first episode about Santa and Giants, I almost cried when your mom talked to you about how you're able to make those decisions for yourself because they managed to give that to you, whereas for them, they weren't able to do that for themselves. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was attracted to your show is because it's such an important conversation as well. I know that it's angling towards Asian Americans, but I think every Asians, especially me being based here in Singapore, I could see all of these kind of like expectations of us for of our parents of having to be a doctor or a lawyer or at least in a very stable job because that's something that they want for us. So aside from that kind of conversation, I love the fact as well that it's community first. Why do you think that that's important for you both to make it a community for the podcast and the conversations? Yeah, that's a great question. That's actually a relatively recent edit we've made to the podcast is really um, trying to double down on community and emphasize its importance. Stories are always going to be important and that's what kind of brings everyone together. And I think the content we provide through our interviews will always be our product but what's going to keep these stories around and really bring us together is the community of people. And so you can post a story out there, but if you don't really actively engage with your audience around the larger themes of these stories, to your point, parental expectations, and you know deeper societal issues that Asian Americans are going to face, such as like political engagement, mental health issues that we as a community are going to have to tackle, those stories will have so much more lasting power than if we're able to really tap into a community of people. And to just add to that, just from a personal level, Lynn and I are both very plugged into the Asian American community. I think Lynn more so than me. I mean, she was the co-chair of the associate board for Apex for Youth, which is like a mentoring nonprofit in New York City for inner city, like Asian American youth. And we're both like very passionate about people and gathering people and creating experiences for people. I mean, we personally met at a gathering and I think moving forward, you know, six years ago, like we, we started just like inviting each other to our different things. Like Lynn invited me to a wine tasting event. And then I invited Lynn to like one of my chocolate pop-ups. And so we just like kind of kept in touch with each other through events and through gatherings. And so we're both very like personally passionate about creating community, creating gathering, creating experience, getting people together, and being able to just organize and get people to become passionate over a subject or an issue or a cause. Yeah, I wanted to discuss the name of your podcast. Was that alluding to the term fresh of the boat, but instead it's rocking the boat? 
Yeah, I actually remember, Lynn, I sent you an article. And in the article, it was talking about the bamboo ceiling and how Asian Americans were seen as these like quiet worker bees and they don't want to rock the boat. Hmm. I don't know if they say it in Singapore, but in America, there's this like term where it's like, don't rock the boat. Yes. As in like, hey, things are great. Like, don't rock the boat. And our thinking is, hey, like, we don't want Asian Americans to be perceived as people who are not movers and shakers or people who don't want to rock the boat and who want to just stay within the status quo and be comfortable. I think Andrew Yang talks a lot about this in his episode where he's like, you know, for some reason, Asian Americans kind of, they're considered outsiders or like they are marginalized when they grow up, especially the ones who grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods. But then as they grow up and they go to college and they meet other Asian Americans, they kind of sort of assimilate and they get comfortable, they have their good jobs, and they kind of just forget about that marginalization. And they kind of just live their lives and, you know, they make money and have their families and they just kind of stop, I guess, like participating like in government or like civic engagement activities. And the funny thing is, is after I sent Lynn that article, she responded back to me via email and she was like, hey, I think this is really funny, but what if we named our podcast Rock the Boat? Yeah, I, I love the name. Like when I saw it, I kind of like quickly got it. And then when I was just reading the description, I'm like, hell yeah. But you mentioned something just now called the bamboo ceiling. This is my first time hearing about it. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. From a statistics perspective, 6% of the U.S. population is made up of Asian Americans, right? So there's about 20 million Asian Americans in the United States. But in upper management or CEO roles or in the board of executives, Asian Americans make up less than 1%. And so there's this concept, I don't know if you've ever heard of the glass ceiling, which is that women executives have a really hard time making it in corporate America, or like very few women make it to an executive position. And the same is for Asian Americans. Asian Americans are kind of seen as this like, especially men, I think, are seen as this like stoic, non-emotional hardworking, but not like politically savvy. And so very few Asian Americans get promoted to those top executive ranks. And I think there's like less than 0.1% of American boards are made up of Asian Americans. I think that is changing slightly with a lot of the new like tech startups and tech CEOs happening to be Asian American, like the founder of Twitch, uh, YouTube, Rotten Tomatoes used to be, but it's still a huge issue. And Asian American women are further marginalized because they not only have this bamboo ceiling, but they also have a glass ceiling. Right. I think that's one of the reasons why I also started a podcast is because I guess similar to you, when you were listening to other podcasts, you kind of just want to know like, hey, where are all the Asian stories? And do you know of any that you listen to? I was actually just listening to one from Jim Quick, which I know that Lynn is a big fan of. He's the founder of Quick Brain, and he talks a lot about like learning strategies. Right. And his backstory is fascinating because he actually suffered from brain trauma when he was five. And so growing up, he was always considered a slow learner. You know, his teacher once called him the kid with a broken brain, but now he teaches study tactics and memory tactics and how to learn faster, how to speed read, how to break 
habits or how to form new habits. There's another podcast called Nancy, which is a bigger production, but it's two Asian Americans and they're both queer. And so they talk about being queer in the United States. And the first episode is fascinating because the woman host, she has a documentation of like her coming out to her mother. Wow. So her mom is on the first episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> like she was recording that conversation <laughs> she was having with her mom? Yes. Wow. <laughs> okay, I'm going to check it out. Thank you. Then I wanted to come back to you both and your relationship. I know that it's not a very traditional kind of business, similar to the other guests that I have, where maybe they're running their own clothing line or they have a publishing business or a design business. But for you both, where it's a podcast, how do you manage working with each other and then also being friends at the same time? You know, we started as friends. So I think our friendship for me will always come first. And I think our working styles have sort of complement each other nicely and our communication styles also flow well. That's not to say that we haven't had challenges, but I think at our core, our, our skill sets complement each other well. So, you know, Lucia works is more on like the business side and I focus more on like content strategy and such. And so in bringing together the podcast, I think those two skill sets really blended nicely. We do a little bit of everything. It's not like that clear cut when it's just, you know, two of you. But yeah, I think we are just intentional about checking in with each other. We haven't done this in a while, but for a period of time, we would ask each other how we were feeling on a scale of one to 10 or how we would rate our day. And I think that was helpful to get a sense of like, okay, if one of us is feeling low on energy, maybe we, we like dial back a little, or it's good to know that someone has a lot of energy and you know we can tailor our communication accordingly. But for me, I think the personal and professional, they all sort of blend together. I think we keep everything pretty casual between each other, but we also know when we need to set deadlines. And I think we just make sure to do it in a way where we, we also know what, what's going on in each other's personal lives. We always sort of have a holistic view of what the other person is going through. I'm like super grateful for Lynn. I feel like we wouldn't have been able to get to where we are today without her. Lynn will have an idea and, you know, we'll start planning things out. For example, season two, I think we were sitting in my living room. Lynn looked over and she's like, I think it'd be really cool to focus on people and media for season two for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Hmm. And I said, yeah, that would be amazing. And then she's like, wouldn't it be cool if we got Michelle Fawn? And I remember thinking, okay, we've gotten previous guests who know Michelle. Let's. <laughs> go and try to get Michelle Fawn yeah. and go to LA <laughs> together. <laughs> and I think at the time we were just like, okay, I don't know if this is going to happen. Yeah. But we ended up getting Michelle Fawn and we, we booked the interview. Lynn and I booked flights to LA and we stayed in LA for a week and we interviewed all these really amazing people, including the Fung Bros and Nikki Sun and a couple of others. Yeah. And it was, it was just an incredible experience. Does it ever get tricky? Because like you mentioned, like one is more about monetization and business and the other is more content and community. Does it ever get tricky when those two worlds collide when you're having discussions? I think it can be, but <laughs> I, I think we both know the importance of 
of having both. We kind of said it in jest that Lucia likes to talk about monetization all the time, and I just like to give away everything for free. <laughs> um, but I also know that I also do have a desire for this to be financially sustainable. And I think Lucia also gets the importance of the content and actually has a really good editorial eye and judgment for what stories will resonate. So on that end, it's not so tricky. The trickier part may just be sometimes determining what to prioritize at any given moment, depending on like what phase of the production cycle or, or where we're at. When we're in season, just focus on getting the episodes out. I think both of us are really just heads down on content. But when we're in between seasons and we're thinking about strategy and long-term growth, you know, the monetization and business aspect will take a little bit more priority. And I think we're usually on the same page about that. It's just a matter of figuring out how to balance the two. Mm. And I think because we both have our own personal priorities as well, we each kind of pick up the slack whenever we need to pick up the slack. So for example, when we first started the podcast, when we launched in January, Lynn was working full time and I was doing consulting work on the side. So I had more time to work on like the first episode and the second episode and like getting the content ready and editing the podcast. And then oddly enough, Lynn was able to come on full time right after that period, right as we launched. And so there's always this like kind of ebb and flow, like when we were still thinking about the, the podcast, we conceptualized the podcast about two years ago. And we didn't really do too much with it. We, we hosted a focus group. We hosted a storytelling session. But in between, you know, Lynn and I switched, like I switched two jobs and I also got married. So like during that period of time, you know, Lynn picked up more of the slack. And then when she was working full time, I picked up more of the slack. As we kind of went along, we started doing more and more with podcast. And so for season two, we were both practically like full time on the podcast. And then now I picked up another consulting project. So I'm doing part time. And then Lynn's also picking up a couple of her own other projects and she's doing part time. So there's always this ebb and flow. And I think that's a challenge of, of keeping it going. Right. How do you prevent any resentment bubbling up from this kind of I mean, because I think it's nice that there's this ebb and flow between the both of you and who's picking up the slack. But I guess for some relationships, that kind of dynamic might be tricky. Has there anything that you both have done to make that dynamic much easier on the both of you? I think Lynn's a saint. <laughs> I think she's just very... <laughs> I mean, I think what's funny is that we both kind of put up with each other on different things. Lynn puts up with me when I'm like hard charging and I'm like, got to do this, got to do that. And I have a bunch of different ideas and I'm like, I'm going to redesign, like I redesign the website in like three days. <laughs> and I just like sat there and just like, you know, put the website together and did all the designs for it. And then, and then I was like, Lynn, I redid the website and she's like, what? <laughs> or she would come back and she'd be like, I have all these ideas about, you know, uh, this type of episode or this type of thing. Or she's like, you know, I want to host like mini dinners. And I'm like, what? Or like there are times when she and I differ on the direction of the podcast. Like, I think we both agree that we didn't really want it to be a media company, but we also both want it to be sustainable. And so we both have ideas about how to make it sustainable. My thinking is growth, regardless of whatever it is, it's like we need to have audience growth. And I think that, you know, being mired in like 
the content and continuously writing is not necessarily what Lynn wants to do long term. The the way that we handle it, I think, when we do come upon frustrations, which we inevitably do, I think it's just important to have boundaries. So we see each other a lot now. <laughs> so we see each other. I mean, there were weeks that we saw each other like almost every day between like working on the podcast and all the interviews and meetings that we would have. And I mean, we ultimately came together to work on this podcast because we both cared about this mission of Asian American community and hearing more Asian American stories and providing more resources. And I think ultimately our values are the same. Like Lucia mentioned before, we're both pretty exploratory. We both are like open to a lot of ideas and testing them. And I think that's what's unique about our relationship. I've worked with other people in the past. I feel like Lucia and I are, are very similar in terms of how open we are to trying new things. And if we have an idea, it's not immediately like, oh no, like that's not possible. It's more like, oh, how can we workshop this and figure it out? Our means to doing that might be different and that's maybe where things can get, where there can be struggles sometimes because our work styles are slightly different. But I think when those situations arise, for me, I usually go back to an understanding of like, this is how Lucia works. And I appreciate the fact that she can be so direct and tackling the problem head on, whereas my route may be like a little bit more indirect and soft. But I think ultimately it makes the team stronger. And I think Lucia also sees the value in my approach sometimes. And we always go back to a mutual respect. I also think we don't take each other too seriously. <laughs> I think at yeah. the end of the day, we're just like, well, okay, let's have fun. Yeah. yeah. And I think like I have a tendency to sometimes just voice my complaints <laughs> and <laughs> Lucia will listen and she'll joke about it and, you know, also understand, let Lynn do her thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll also let Lucia do her thing. And, <laughs> and we kind of just like this two will pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the patterns that I've seen is it's become more clear where actually being friends is a really good foundation for starting something together. I know that the original kind of like concerns is always like, oh, you shouldn't start a business or a venture with your friend. The risks are you could really lose a business or you could lose a friend or both, right? When I hear your stories and all the women that I've interviewed before, I really think that the friendship has been kind of like the bedrock in order for all of these challenges to so that you can just kind of like skate through them. And I think when you mentioned that you have the same values and you respect each other, it's really kind of like seeing that friendship and not taking it for granted. We're kind of like coming to the end of the interview. Before we go to the next section, which is the quick fire questions, there's just one last question that I have for you is that if you have a chance to speak to your younger self about starting a business with your friends or starting a project together with friends, what advice would you give yourself? I think I would tell my younger self to not be afraid to try new things and do things with other people. As a kid, I was very, well, I still am very introverted and I was a really shy kid. I, I didn't have a problem making friends, but I think there was always a part of me that was a little fearful of entering into like intimate relationships because I, I don't know, just some fear of getting close to people, maybe for fear of being hurt or being rejected, not feeling like 
a working relationship or any sort of relationship would go well. And I think as I've gone through more experiences, I've gotten my most uh, important lessons from working with others. I haven't gotten any of my like major epiphanies or insights from being in isolation. What I would tell my younger self, and specifically my younger self, this lesson won't necessarily apply to everyone, but I think if you're particularly a more like quiet, introverted person, the advice would be to not be afraid to work with others. And you'll be surprised at what you can learn when you work with people who are different from you. It will be out of your comfort zone and it will be challenging, but ultimately you'll be the better for it. I love that. I think that's something that I'm trying to learn. I tend to feel that doing it alone would be faster. Right. Yeah. Nikki, I, it's funny that you say that because growing up, I wasn't shy like Lynn was. I think I was born extroverted, but I moved around a lot when I was a kid. So I, I lived in seven different states and I counted a couple years back. I was surprised to realize that I went to 14 different schools. Whoa. So... I don't have a lot of childhood friends. Some of my closer friends are still from high school and college. And so I had a really hard time keeping in touch with people. I think I always felt like things were very transitory, like relationships don't last. And I took that as like, I can only rely on myself. So when Nikki, when you said something like, oh, it's, it's faster when I do it myself. I have that tendency as well. But I've really come to realize that when you find a really good partner, things get so much easier. I also like have done a lot of introspection. And I've realized that you just can't do everything yourself. And sometimes, for me personally, it helps to have another person along with you to just go through like the different challenges of starting a business and, you know, to tell my younger self, like I, I started a chocolate business on my own and there's nothing harder than being a solo entrepreneur because you just have to make all the decisions yourself. And at the time I started my chocolate business, I wasn't part of this like startup community. So I didn't know anybody else who was doing it as well. All my friends had nine to five jobs or were in school. And so I just felt so alone. The lesson that I really learned is to be more open about being friends with others, trusting that relationships aren't always transient and that they can last. And then just doing projects with other people to try things out. And do a breadth of projects, like try a lot of different things. Because growing up, I always thought I would be a certain thing. Like I wanted to be an astronaut or I wanted to be a singer. Or in college, I was like, I'm going to go into consulting. <laughs> As I grew up, I realized you can't plan that far ahead. And even when you get to the point that you want to get to, it might not be where you want to go. So being more open and truthful about what you actually want to do in life. And then trusting in others and working well with them. I love those. Thank you both for all your advice. And so before we go to the next section, is there anything you want to update us about Rock the Boat? Season three is launching the third week of September. Cool. 
And we are focusing on people who've overcome challenges. And we have really awesome stories that a lot of people haven't heard about around taboo topics like incarceration, homosexuality, depression, and a lot more. So we hope everybody can tune in. Okay, yes. And then for the section, which is called quick fire questions, I'll just go through them very quickly. And then you give me your response as concisely as possible. Cool? Cool. Awesome. Okay, so what is the activity with a friend or a group of friends that you look forward to the most? Dinner and wine. <laughs> Food, dining in general. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's board games and video games. So games in general. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. And how do you distinguish when you both are on work mode or friendship mode? I can answer this for Lucia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lucia's a lot more silly when she's in friendship mode. I feel like there's even a tonal difference in her voice and she's, you know, very playful and lighthearted and she's still like that in work mode, but there's kind of like a switch where she's super on top of things and really direct and really targeted and focused. And in friendship mode, she's just like lighthearted and not checking her phone at all and just like really connected in a, in a personal way. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> I can answer uh, Lynn. Yeah, you can answer for me. <laughs> okay. I'd say Lynn in friendship mode is she's very open and she's <laughs> kind of heady <laughs> in the sense that she likes to talk a lot of like philosophical stuff. But usually it's like we're eating something or like we're just chatting about life. But she's very open. Lynn in work mode is not too different from friendship mode, but just more strategic and thoughtful and she's very organized so she'll always come with an agenda so we have this like rtb check-in list and so she'll have everything listed in the in the doc and we'll just like go through line item by line item cool so what is your favorite book or an article that you've read recently recently is this book called range how generalists can excel in a world of specialists i actually encountered it on a podcast and they talk about kind of debunking the whole like, you know, 10,000 hour myth and how in a world of business and things that are really uncertain, people who are generalists oftentimes do better than people who specialize too early. Yeah. So I'm trying to decide between two that I read most recently. One is a book by Anand Jirhardis, who is the editor-in-chief of Time Magazine. And he wrote a book called Winners Take All. And it's kind of like a critique of America's current system, both politically and in business wise. It just takes a very thoughtful approach towards the way we view capitalism. Right. And then another book is by Lori Gottlieb, and it's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. It's a book written by a therapist who goes to therapy. And so she talks about her experiences both behind the desk and then parallels that with her experience as an actual client um, going to see a therapist. There's a really awesome explanation for the value of therapy. It's really like elucidated for me about like how helpful it can be if done the right way. That sounds interesting. I'm going to check that out. Okay, so name a woman who's inspired you recently. Michelle Obama. And I actually forgot to mention, I really enjoyed her book as well. But her memoir, Becoming, I think she was just such a great role model as a first lady. And the number of challenges she had to overcome as a woman of color growing up in Chicago and how she's sort of stayed true to herself through all of the 
challenges in the limelight. She's really held it together, and I think her story is inspiring. I don't know if this is the cop-out answer, but it's Holly Lou. Um, we actually just worked on her episode, so spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> we just worked on her episode for season three, but she is the co-founder of a mobile gaming company called Kabam, which sold for $800 million back in 2014, I think. And she's currently a visiting partner at Y Combinator. But what's inspiring for me about her story is that she went on to start a company with her friends and she helped it grow. And now she's become kind of the spokesperson for women in gaming. What I love about it is that there are so few Asian American women role models out there. And it feels like she's kind of paving the path to helping others either in the gaming industry or the tech industry or in the startup world to really shine. And to me, I feel like she just has such an interesting drive to help others. And that's like women in a very male dominated field. Ah, <laughs> cool. Okay. And lastly, what's one habit that's been a total game changer for you at work? I haven't been able to do this as consistently as I'd like, but writing things down and Lucia alluded to this earlier, but actually like coming into meetings with an intention and an agenda of sorts, because so much of our work involves meeting with other people and talking about things and being able to deliver on certain ideas and projects, going into any sort of call with an intention. That's really helped me save a lot of time. Mine is checklists. Oh. I think Lynn can attest to this, but <laughs> I'm like the queen of checklists. So I always have my notebook and every morning I write down my to-do list, all the things that I want to get accomplished that day. And when my checklist gets too long, I migrate it onto this project management tool called Asana. Ah. And I will go ahead and write down all the different things that I want to get done for, let's say, the month or you know, moving forward for certain different types of projects. And then I will date everything. And then the software will automatically help me prioritize. So I do the whole productivity matrix thing where so I'll list everything out and like how important it is how urgent it is. And so the things that are important and urgent, I do first. And then things that are important, but not so urgent, I'll do next. The things that are urgent and like, not that important, I'll like see if I can delegate it. And then the things that are not important, not urgent, I just kind of leave them. That reminds me, you know, this is something that I've been wanting to do, because similar to you, I have such a huge checklist. And I do use Asana, but I think at some point, it's too much. So I need to do that matrix. On the flip side of that, I would say that another habit that's been helpful for me, that's kind of the reverse of this. But if you're looking to prioritize, I try to keep my checklists or my to-do list to like no more than three, because I'm basically like, if I can just get these three things done, I'm good. Right. So I actually just kind of try to focus it on only three per day. Cool. Lots of productivity tips today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you both. I think that's the end of the interview. Thank you, Thank Nikki. you for having us. Thanks for joining us this week on Chief Best Friends. If you enjoyed this episode, visit our website at chiefbestfriends.com to read the show notes and links to everything we talked about today. We'd love to hear what you think of our show. We release new episodes every fortnight and it would be super helpful if you subscribed and left us a review wherever you get your podcasts from. Visit us at chiefbestfriends.com to find out more. Again, that's chiefbestfriends.com. I'm your host and friend, Nikki Torres, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>